All right, people, are you ready? Yeah. I can't hear you. Are you ready? I said, are you ready? Yeah. I can't. Oh, wait. Now I can hear you. Shit, the volume was down. Anyway, let's roll. So first things first, I just wanted to uh, point out uh, within the span of two days, two huge uh, cultural figures passed away. And uh, the first one being Jim Brown, the great running back, the great NFL running back from Cleveland. And um, boy... You know, that guy he is interesting. Well, as controversial as that guy was in many aspects, like, it always seemed like he was like a mainstay. And by that, I mean, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just the notion that as I age, everyone else days in some kind of uh, holding pattern where they don't, I, I figured, you know, this guy will always be, you know, you'll always be reading about something or, you know, he'd pop up in a movie or, um, you know, like he was in uh, Mars Attacks, the Tim Burton alien movie, which was like... When was that? Like 90, 95? I think I saw that in Australia. And, um, but you just kind of, maybe it's just from a lack of awareness or lack of just kind of, um, self-awareness or something. You just assume, okay, these guys are always around. They're always going to be around. It's Jim Brown. But, what I didn't realize was how interesting, you know, he was a big social activist, of course, and he had some controversial um, moments in his life. I guess he, um, um, had a reputation as being a little disagreeable sometimes with the opposite sex, but, but he also became a prominent leader in the black power movement during the uh, civil rights era in the 60s. He was, um, he seemed like he always kind of did his own thing, you know? He retired or he retired when he was only like, God, like, um, he was in his prime, but he only played like 10 seasons or something like that. And, um, but he was just so dominant um, let me see. Okay. One of football's greatest ever dies at 87. Um, let's see. Died in LA. He, uh, in 2020, he was elected to the NFL 100, 100 all-time team and was ranked as the number one all-time player on the college football 150 list to celebrate 
those sports anniversaries. Uh, he was named the greatest football player ever by the Sporting News in 2002. Oh, yeah, here we go. So he was selected in the first round of the 1957, excuse me, draft and played nine seasons with the Browns, right? And led the league in rushing eight of those years. He, Oh, and also he was the only, I uh, believe he's the only running back to average uh, 100 yards per game. So um, he rushed for a total of 12,312 yards. Wow. In nine seasons. Wow. Average 5.2 yards per carry. Uh, he led the Browns to the league championship game three times, winning the title in 64, which was right before uh, the Super I think the Super Bowl, first Super Bowl was like 65, if I'm not mistaken. The Packers, Chiefs. So, so Cleveland never really got their due. And, uh, but he ran for at least 100 yards in 58 of his 118 regular season games, never missing a game. Uh, he rushed for more than a thousand yards in seven seasons, including fifteen hundred and twenty-seven yards in one twelve-game season. Wow! And eighteen hundred and sixty-three in a fourteen-game season. Motherfucker! Yeah, he was probably a man amongst boys. Uh, but he also, like I say, he had some. Uh, he had some funky friends, man. That's cool. It's all good. He worked to empower the black community during the civil rights movement. In June of 67, Brown organized the Cleveland Summit, a meeting of the nation's top black athletes, including Bill Russell and Lou Alcindor, who later became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to support Muhammad Ali's fight against serving in Vietnam. Uh, in later years, Brown worked to curb gang violence in Los Angeles, and in 1988 founded Amerai I Can, a program to help disadvantaged inner-city youth and ex-convicts. So, I mean, he was really the original... He was the original OG of the backfield, right? Um, it all kind of started with him, other than, say, like, guys like Bronco Nagurski or some, you know, old old-school guys, Y.A. Tittle and stuff like that, right? He was the kind of like the first modern-era intimidating you know, star back, right? And to play in such a, I don't know, Cleveland probably was different back in the 50s and 60s, but, um, yeah, you, uh, sadly, it's, now it's kind of one of those teams where you can get kind of, uh, you can kind of dissolve into the scenery, right? Because they're not a, I mean, it's a big market. It's a big city, but it's not a big, they're not like, they're not the Dallas Cowboys or the, you know, one of those big marquee teams. But uh, nevertheless, so, but he was the all-time rushing leader until uh, Walter Payton broke him, broke his record in 84, I believe. So, so RIP to old James Brown. So, um... And then, and then, and then, the other deal, which I was really, 
strangely shocked to hear. But again, it's like you just assume these people will always kind of be around. And I was listening to some interviews for the with this guy, gosh, a year or two ago. Um, but the uh, British novelist Martin Amis, one of my favorites, um, just a brilliant, brilliant writer and wordsmith, um, passed away at the age of 73, two days later, two days after Jim Brown. It's wild, but, um, but very high profile, very, uh, maybe one of the last, in my opinion, which is just an opinion, one of the last kind of celebrity writers, um, that you would talk about in the tabloids, so to speak, because he palled around with Christopher Hitchens. They were buddies. And Hitchens was always kind of a, a focal point of controversy. Kind of an interesting... Uh, maybe some would say a contrarian, but he just had... I don't know. I think he he was an antagonist more than anything and a brilliant writer himself. But those two were like peas in a pod and... Uh, Hitchens died in 2011 and uh, Martin Amos was uh, he was just so cool and calculated the whole time um, he uh, his, of course his dad was Kingsley Amos who was uh, he won his dad won the Booker Prize back in the 70s Something like that. What I didn't realize though was Martin Amos lived in Florida of all places. What a, Martin Amos was a guy. He was like um, he wanted to be uh, American, so it kind of makes sense that he lived in Florida. But he definitely had American tendencies. He had a very verbose and uh, attention-getting style that would make you mistake him for um, being an American personality but but he always wrote above his uh, height because he was a very short man not, not a lot, I mean, unless you saw him in person or knew a, mm, intrinsically about him you wouldn't really realize that if you just read him you'd think my this guy's a this guy's a motherfucker he's a badass but he's super small because um Bordering on, like, almost, like, he had kind of, like, his... He had a big forehead, which lends itself to, like, uh, borderline dwarfism. But he wasn't a... He wasn't... I mean, he was short. He was... He, he couldn't have been more than, like, five, six. And how do I know that? Because I went, I went to go see him at a reading uh, in San Francisco years ago when I was, like, uh, my 20s. It would have been 98... I drove into San Francisco when I was living in Marin. He was given a reading from, oh, uh, God, what book was it? I can't even think right now. It was the one he published probably after The Information, which was the first one I read of his, which was a, which, that was a brilliant, stunning piece of literature. Like, uh, And, uh, well, a lot, I mean, his, like, Money, the book Money, was it, it just encapsulates the greed of the 80s and the, and the self-centeredness of the 80s, uh, the appetites of the 80s. And then London Fields was just a dark, dark, brilliant, like really, really good. Like the dude 
the dude could write. Um, make no mistake. And, um, but, uh, yeah. So, but he died of esophageal cancer, just like uh, Hitchens. Interesting. Um, but, uh, the tone of his novels was, according to this article here in, uh, the New York Times, the tone of his, the tone of these novels was bright, bristling, and profane. What I've tried to do is to create a high style to describe low things, which is exactly what it is. The whole world of fast food, sex shows, nude mags, talking about those ugly subterranean subjects in the way that he spoke and acted. And he was like brilliant. Like, again, this is a guy like would seduce women based on just uh, the way he talked because he was, I mean, let's face it, women like tall guys, right? And he is not that. He is distinctly not that. Um, but he would be at parties with very highbrow women, very highbrow people, where you gotta, you know, you're mentally jousting with people. You're, you gotta be, you know, you gotta hold your own, right? And um, he would seduce, he, matter of fact, uh, he had a daughter out of wedlock through a woman that he seduced at a party. And that, I mean, that, say, that says a lot about him right there, just what a, the confidence he had despite being like five, six and uh, good looking guy, big forehead, but, um, but uh, yeah, he says uh, he's uh, in a 1985 interview with the New York Times book review. He said, I'm often accused of concentrating on the pungent, uh, rebarbative side of life in my books, but I feel I'm rather sentimental about it. Anyone who reads the tabloid papers will rub up against much greater horrors than I describe. Um, of course, his literary heroes were like uh, Vladimir Nabokov, you know, famously wrote Lolita, very controversial. Uh, Saul Bellow, the uh, American Nobel Prize winner in literature. So his contemporaries were, and these people, these are people, well, I don't think he hung out with Nabokov too much. He, I think he might have been dead by the time. Amos was up and running, but uh, but he hung out with these guys. Saul Bellow and Salman Rushdie were his contemporaries. A lot of the great, uh, the English writers, Ian McEwan and uh, Julian Barnes and those guys. Um, this guy, I mean, not a lot of people could hold this guy's jockstrap in the world of literature, right? And, uh, but his, uh, early on his, I think his, biggest obstacle was to dispel the nepotism that was probably thought to be at work based on being Kingsley Amos's son which is interesting Kingsley and Kingsley Amos is very like like very English like super English like kind of a uh, I don't know my my impression would be say like a kind of a contemporary like Percy Blythe Shelley of some sort right or some Lord Byron type, you know, but for the modern contemporary uh, settings, right? It's one of those kind of real British honks, right? So he, so that's probably another reason why Martin Amos kind of deep down wanted to be American, because he he was kind of the other side of that coin. Instead of being the reserved, 
uh, sardonic wit, which he was. He was also a very verbose and um, up front in your face talent as well. So he kind of tried to distance himself from his dad's image, I'm sure. Uh, you know, obviously. And I think, you know, God, I mean, in comparison, he wrote circles around his dad. Um, you know, he also kind of wanted, he also had this huge admiration for Don DeLillo, the great postmodern writer that wrote like Libra and White Noise, which they just made a, a film on uh, Netflix with Adam Driver, which was kind of uh, funky and I don't know. But uh, I think he kind of secretly wished he could be Don DeLillo or an American. It's kind of odd, but but it's what made him, and it's what made him distinct. So, it's funny. I don't know. It'd be like an American trying to want to be British, right? Like like Madonna or some shit. Like, Madonna, I think she lives over there. She, I think she thinks she's British. But it's kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. That's because she's more repugnant than anything. So, but, uh, yeah... So there you go. So be it. I mean, it had to happen at some point, but, but, um, yeah, R.I.P. Martin Amos. Interesting. 73 years old. Um, just kind of both galvanizing and staying out of the shadow of his father. But what we, but the idea idea I I think is um, whether we like it or not I think there's some there's a um, we're compelled to uh, we're compelled to create maybe a better version of where we came from right in in this instance with Martin Amos uh, being Kingsley Amos' son, wanted to represent, but also distance, distance him. You know, you do that, but you know, it's like a Joseph Campbell thing. You like the whole Star Wars. You got to kill your father, right? The whole Luke Skywalker killing Darth Vader type thing to establish your own sense and sensibility, right? Well, that was I just, I just that was that's a Jane Austen novel. novel. <laughs> Sense and sensibility that just popped out. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, bro. But um, we always look to create, uh, to galvanize a, a version of ourselves, but but to also evolve naturally because it's evolution's a natural thing. We want to make better versions of ourselves. Look at look at artificial intelligence right now. I mean, artificial intelligence its its whole its whole mo is to create better versions of itself, better versions on top of itself. Chat GPT-3, Chat GPT-4, Chat GPT-4.5 is going to be better than 4. Chat GPT-5 is going to be probably sentient. That's the one that takes over and kills all of us, right? But it's always evolving. It's always building on itself to get a better version. So everything that it had license to... Originally, as a foundation, it builds on that, and that's what we do. It's what you know. What I'm like, like for example, okay, let me get you. Let me get you a more relatable example. So this Wednesday is the uh, 
graduation ceremony. My twins are going to be there, I, I assume, because they're graduating. So, and um, so my son asked me, like, what you know, what do you what do you think about me doing like a backflip on the stage? And I and I told him simply that they'll probably have snipers you know, staged up at the tops of buildings and stuff to prevent that from happening. So don't, don't try that. Although it would be pretty badass. But, um, and this, this guy, you know, he's, you never, you never really can tell, right? Now I'm not too worried about his twin sister. Like she's definitely by the book, you know, like if she, she's one of those types that like, if she pulls into a parking lot and it says the, you know, spots reserved for such and such, despite the knowledge that you may not even check, she, she will not park there. She will not roll the dice. She just buys, you know, very by the book, even though she uh, believes in gender fluidity and she's off the, you know, she's, uh, she's definitely um, subscribes, subscribes to the non-binary world out there. Uh, which is a very new territory. She's definitely, uh, oddly enough, she does subscribe to the rules. <laughs> so it's kind of, a, you know, kind of a, maybe she's got a little Martin Amos thing going on there, a little struggle, a little internal turmoil, right? But, but the boy, he's just off his nut, right? So, so, as but you want obviously you want the best for your kids and then when you you know this is this is the this is the gate this is like the gate uh that you walk through to enter life right so you've mm, you've put in your time the last dozen years or so and um You've decided, like, okay, now I'm going out into the real world, whatever that is. Okay, some and some go to college, and some join the workforce. Some go to a trade school. Some go to a whatever. Some decide they're going to hitchhike across the U.S. Some decide they're going to go to a kibbutz in Israel, live on a kibbutz, live on a commune, you know, or join a band, or make an album or become an artist, whatever. But it all comes from somewhere. There's a reason that they venture down that road. Um, it's either in an effort to uh, perpetuate, perpetuate a... Uh, Maybe a lot, you know, maybe your dad was a dentist, right? And you're going to dental school, right? So what you're doing is you're per perpetuating this tradition, right? Continuing a tradition, okay? Or, if, or not, you know, you're the first to go to college. Your parents didn't go to college. You're the first to go to college, okay? So you're, built, you're evolving. You're, you're, you're making a better version of you. And in so doing, you're contributing to a better version of your family, of your lineage, and uh, whatever the reason may be, it comes from somewhere, right? In my opinion, I guess. And um, so it's, but that's what I think 
happens natural or organically is, is probably whether you realize it or not you're um like my son always he always gives me a lot of props like you know i learned it from you like whenever i say something about i give him a compliment oh i learned it from you well i don't i don't know maybe he did i don't know maybe there's an maybe there's an element of osmosis involved because i haven't lived with the guy for eight nine how many years jesus how old is this guy when was that i was oh nine so like the last 14 years i haven't lived with the guy 14 years but he's virtually like a blueprint of me or a carbon copy of me the 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 tendon the idiosyncrasies the tendencies the quirks the you know so he is the new version of me he's going to be and he is going to be the better version of me whatever form that takes okay and it's not about getting better grades or getting a better job or getting a Mm, accumulating more in life with uh, um, with like you know consumer related more cars a bigger house a more property more this more that it's not that it's not that it's 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 kind of gleaming, gleaming, and gleaming, gleaming, and gleaming the the best parts of the you know your parents, your the previous the previous wave, <laughs> so to speak, right? Like I I I take a lot from like my parents and uh, like my dad and he was always at work working. I was on the move, I was hustling, and I think, I think again, by osmosis, that just translated to me. Because I, I am that guy. I'm like, I, I'm, Anthony Bourdain famously said, like, he, he, it, his, it, his inner dialogue and his inner person is this, is that guy that just wants, he just wants to kind of sit on the couch and smoke weed all day. So it's, so he does everything he can to kind of stay out of that. And that's me. I would do that. I could sit on a couch all day and just smoke weed, but I, I, I battle it. I, so the flip side version of that is to just stay busy, just stay constant, right? Because um, I'm, con- you know, I'm, uh, I'm constantly intrigued by everything. Like, so I, I took my, so this, uh, let's see, what day? Friday. So the beginning of the week, I love, for, God, I love Fridays more and more. It's just kind of the gateway to the weekend, the, the potential of what can be done, right? So I had to help, I offered to help my mom. She had to fix the uh, gate to her property. It had been broken open. There's a long story. There's a confusion as far as there's a guy that went over to mow it and he mowed the wrong piece of property. It was hers. Uh, he didn't realize he was at the wrong property. Because to get in, he had to break the gate to do it. So I went on and I fixed the gate, right? And um, and that's just what you 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 have to do that. Like you just, it's it's imperative as a as a member of a, of your family. Like if you have the capability to do that, you do it. And but it would be something that my my dad would do that, and my dad would do it with out with mm, with little to no complaints. He'd probably get. Uh, 
I don't know. He'd probably have his critics, uh, his his um, siblings, and so forth. They're all they're always kind of um, there was some I don't know rivalry of sorts. So his his way of doing things seemed to take on sometimes an altruistic and uh, non rewarding uh, situa- uh, you know uh, uh, outcome. You know, like when his mom had dementia he went in and cleaned out her house and made it presentable to sell without any help well my mom helped but but I don't think any of his brothers or sisters were much of a help and they also kind of criticized him in the wings for I don't know even his mom like cause in the throes of dementia like she thought at night she thought he was uh, stealing from her even though he wasn't even in the house. So, you know, this was a guy, this, this is a guy, my dad, who would very, had a very soft heart, even though he was a kind of a bastard to me. A great, a great example is like, I saw a meme where it said, uh, the soccer, the, my, my soccer coach made us, made me run laps today because I was late to practice. Also, my dad is the soccer coach, and he's the one that drove me to practice. <laughs> he's like that. That describes the essence of my dad, right? Because he was he actually was my soccer coach for a few years. Um, he learned how to. He learned how to. He learned soccer, just so he could coach me. I, who does that? Like that's wild. Um, like he didn't play soccer. He never played soccer. Uh, he grew up in Yuba City, where uh, you know where most everybody playing soccer in the 50s and 60s were like uh, Indian, right? Like no, Amer- no white people played soccer. That was like, that's what British people and Indians and Mexicans do, but not, yeah, anyway. So, but, uh, so it was, a, yeah, there was some, there were some moments of, Tough love, hard knocks, you know, that type of shit. But I don't, and I don't know how deliberate or intentional it was psychologically, but it toughened me up a little. I mean, literally, like, literally. And my mom kind of is the same way. Like, she, um, she was the yard duty on recess in elementary school. And I would start, I would be a pest, I would be antagonizing the, 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 the bullies on the playground and then just run and just run, just run for my life to get to her so she could protect me. And she said, I can't, I can't get involved with this. You started this. Now you gotta, you gotta, you gotta finish it. And, uh, that was a rough, that was a rough afternoon, but that's what happens, you know, but what's it, what's it doing? It's creating a better version of your next, the next wave, right? And that's what I kind of hope to like, I, I don't know what whole, you know, I'm, I'm, you're always proud of your kids. Um, even if you're like one of those real, just miserable people that just hates everything and just had, had been shit on your whole life and just live in some back, backwoods fucking fucked up place. And, uh, you want to be proud of your kids, right? Despite Mm, despite most circumstances 
And um, so you, so it's incumbent upon you to figure out how to do that. And sometimes it takes a little tough love, right? So, so I helped my mom fix her gate uh, Friday. And then Saturday, I took her and my lady out for uh, an actual Mother's Day dinner. And it was great. We went to this place. It's a funky little mo. It's kind of a, uh, I guess what what would be the best way to describe it? It's kind of a hipster haven type place called Shangri-La where most of the dining is outside. Like half of it's out, outdoors because they've got bocce ball courts, a couple of bocce ball courts. They've got, everything's kind of kitschy. Everything's got a little campy. You know, it's kind of like a retro thing. It looked like, this place looks like it should be in Palm Springs. And I was, and I was asking my mom, I was sitting there with, the three of us, my lady, I was saying, like, what do you suppose it is about the gays that love the campiness of all this shit, right? Because it look like, you know, it's a lot of hipsters, some gays. It's got that retro look, you know, the horn rim glasses, the red and white polka dot shirts, uh, you know, the hairstyles and the, 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 the bobs and the shit like that, you know, because the owner was, I could tell, I'd read an article about this place. And uh, I could t- based on what I'd read in the article, the uh, the proprietor, I could recognize her right away from the article. She was there just floating. She had like family or something sitting next to us, sitting one table over outside. It was so nice too. Oh my god, it was nice. But um, yeah, she was she was working that whole look. It's kind of a mm, like a female uh, hipster type look thing. And she was not old, but older. You know, probably 40. Um, and uh, so, but this is the type of place, definitely, you put it smack dab in the middle of Palm Springs and the gays are going to show up. And it's, so I, I was just asking, you know, I was picking my mom's brain or asking, you know, what is it? What do you think it is about the gays? Like, because you see patterns. Like, um, I was explaining to my, my mom, of course, about how I was trying to push my son into just getting a job at a dealership, you know, at some point working in sales, getting to know people, learning how to read people, learning how to understand people, learning what people are really saying, what's really going on when they tell you no or when they tell you yes, because it's usually the opposite. And uh, so I thought, yeah, it's just it was just fascinating, the whole mm, just understanding the human species. But I thought so I asked her, I said, what do you think it is about the gays? Right. Because they all have good credit. They're all, they're all very fit. You know, they all take good care of themselves. They all dress well. They all, go, they all come to places like this. What is it about the campiness? What is it, what do you think it is about this kind of time standstill in the mid-50s type look, you know? And you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about, right? The, that look, that sunwashed look of, of, you know, a bocce ball court and uh, this, the, just the the vibe it's it's like a vibe right and uh not to be taken too seriously but anyway she couldn't answer but um but stuff like that it's it's i don't know maybe i'm just trying maybe i'm reaching too far maybe i'm like trying to get a, a you know a larger understanding of the of of society and cultures as a whole and maybe it was just too much conversation <laughs> for the time being, right? But it was a nice, it was a nice evening.
um, the weather was just perfect and um, and it was cool you know I had a couple of cocktails my lady's like I can't drink because I'm an alcoholic so, but we still had, a, it was a, still an enjoyable evening and, um, but, uh, but I don't, you know, I, I don't even know why, I'm not sure why I brought that up, but it has, but, um, but it's also kind of, it was also kind of a precursor though to go into, uh, because, uh, in a couple of days is the, is the graduation ceremony. So you, you know. And you get that, you know, you get that. You, there's a, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna feel a lot of pride when you see your kids up there. And you just, in the back of your head, hope that they'll be a better version of you because you're trying to be the better version of your folks and they were a better version of their folks. And that's the whole, you know, even if you could just, even if you could just push the, you know, push, push it just a, a little, you know, just, just for, you know, further the, Push it further out a little more, a little more, a little more, right? Of what's, of what's, uh, of what you're capable of, right? Moving the bar. Then that's all you got. That's, that's, that's all you can do. You know, because there are, there are, there's, you know, there are examples to the contrary where, you know, you just, you know, that god-awful son of mine, Jesus Christ, he's a miserable, worthless... <laughs> but that's on you, right? Or your daughter, or your... Whatever, your kids that strayed from... from the... Tr- from the... progress of the momentum that you've tried to establish, you know, and they just, they just mm, were never equipped. Maybe they fell off. They just like couldn't do it. They just weren't interested, but that's on you, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, you, it's, it's, it's kind of incumbent on, uh, upon you to kind of shape their trajectory, right? Am I right or am I right? Or am I right or am I right? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some examples. Just some like, you know, where your kids are just like, like you can't believe like, well, I don't know. I don't know. My mom was talking about um, Martin Sheen and um, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> but before you, before we start crapping on Charlie Sheen, hey, I told her this is a guy that was that held his own in an Academy Award winning movie, Platoon, and then turned around and did somewhat of a parody of it with uh, Hot Shots and then played in Major League. I mean, that takes talent. So, 
And he was also in Wall Street with his dad. Did a great job in Wall Street. Fucking yeah. Played Bud Fox. Fucking great role. But he's also kind of a dirtbag. He likes prostitutes and cocaine. But who doesn't? Because <laughs> Martin, you know, Martin Sheen was, you know, he was, he was, a, he was a big, act, well, he still is an activist, a big time activist, much like Jim Brown, civil rights. Um, he's been in some huge, great, great films. I mean, Jesus, Apocalypse Now? I mean, come on. Uh, Badlands, classic. Uh, Wall Street. I mean, brilliant stuff, right? But then you got Charlie Sheen, you know? (laughs) Oh, fuck. I mean, the one you really got to keep your eye on is Emilio Estevez. I mean, shit. Mighty Ducks 2 shouldn't have been made. Just my opinion. But with that, I'll leave you. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. But, uh... All right, all right, all right, mate, all right, mate. It's all right, it's all right, mate. Whatever happens, happens, eh? Oi, all right, mate. So, that being said, I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, babies.